This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Premise that we don't have that much to go on. I'm going to make some um, fairly impressionistic uh, remarks uh, as far as the Middle East goes. And I will talk a little bit about um, the reaction uh, to the elections in the Middle East. And again, that's also, uh, it's, it's too soon, uh, and I don't have um, um, uh, too much to go on. So uh, uh, take it some, uh, as some disparate uh, uh, remarks um, on the Middle East and Trump. Um, it's not easy to comment on uh, the outlooks and prospects of the uh, Trump presidency in the Middle East, but I think it's not easy to make such comments as far as um, any other region of the world is concerned. Candidate Trump has not articulated uh, a vision about the Middle East. Uh, He says that he has thought out uh, strategies, but sharing them publicly, he has argued, uh, would be foolish. Um, So we don't know. He has said he prefers uh, lesser American involvement in Middle Eastern uh, affairs, um, and therefore I'm... um, Uh, very interested in uh, what Stefan said um, in that uh, he might be uh, preoccupied with issues in the Middle East. Certainly that's not the impression that he gave uh, during the campaign. And um, what he has made clear um, uh, during the campaign was that defeating ISIS Uh, uh, would be his highest uh, priority. Now, for many, including Middle Easterners, uh, these utterances are neither here nor there. Um, The peoples of Middle Eastern countries uh, greeted the outcome of the U.S. elections with surprise and amusement. Um, The more liberal elements in the publics uh, of Middle Eastern countries um, and those, uh, particularly those elements oppressed uh, by present regimes, received it with a sense of schadenfreude or more charitably with the sentiment of it happens to the best of us. Middle Eastern peoples are saddled by leaders who have uh, little regard for the rule of law, for basic freedoms and human rights, and other democratic principles ordinarily touted by the United States. Now they look to the United States and see something that is familiar to them. Uh, They see an emasculated democracy and uh, the the tyranny of a minority Um, one quarter of the country's adult population uh, 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 having voted uh, Trump in. Uh, Trying to explain the Electoral College to Middle Easterners is as difficult as explaining the Iranian Supreme Revolutionary Council to Americans. Um, 
Now, to those who take an interest in uh, contemporary Middle East um, and appreciate the intricate political, social, and cultural dynamics of the region, it is clear that generalizations about the region uh, and its peoples are quite uh, impossible. Nevertheless, um, one can say uh, that uh, Middle Easterners are, by and large, uh, apprehensive about uh, Donald Trump, especially uh, in view of the disparagingly reductionist views he has voiced about uh, the faith of uh, most of them, about their region, and uh, the misfortunes and conflicts that beset them. I don't think they're... um, the Middle Easterners, um, you know, sort of the, you know, the, the, the Arab street, the Middle Eastern street, if there is such a thing, neither takes uh, Trump seriously nor literally, but they're um, sort of insulted and galled anyway. Um, now, uh, Middle Eastern leaders, on the other hand, have started to and will continue to approach uh, the change of guard in Washington opportunistically, to promote their own agendas vis-a-vis a president-elect who is uh, groping in the dark. They either hope for a clean slate upon which they can inscribe their own goals, or a power vacuum which will offer the right climate to do exactly that. The reality of our new president is dawning upon us now. We're having a serious conversation here uh, about him. We're taking him seriously. To non-Americans, the president-elect is still the caricature that he was to us earlier in the year. Many Middle Eastern potentates have outsized egos, and they view Trump as someone they can conceivably if not manipulate, uh, massage um, in the direction of their own agendas. They're also hoping for, uh, if you like, uh, the Carter human rights strategy in reverse, Uh, a Trump doctrine that closes a blind eye to human rights violations and suppression of basic freedoms and civil rights in the region. Now, I can't uh, sort of take apart the Middle East as competently uh, as my colleague has, uh, but um, uh, I should say that among the major players in the region, uh, such a window of opportunity might well be most narrow for the Saudi monarchy. I don't think we will see King Salman and Donald Trump hand in hand anytime soon. Despite the diminishing economic clout of Saudi Arabia, the Obama administration has abetted Saudi aggression in Yemen. The carnage the Saudis have caused in that country has made uh, Yemen significantly more unstable uh, than before the civil war. And if Trump indeed moves in the direction of minimizing uh, American commitments in the region, Yemen will not be in his list of priorities, I don't think. Trump has said little about Saudi Arabia on the campaign trail, but has made uh, the rapprochement with Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia's most uh, feared enemy in the region now, a prominent target. Yet Trump's spirited pledge to repop the agreement, the nuclear agreement with Iran, may turn out to be little more than a hollow threat. 
The nuclear treaty is an international agreement concluded under the auspices of the UN, and as such, it is not for the United States to rip it up. Any effort in that direction is likely to be used by the Iranian regime to its own advantage. If the United States goes back on its commitments to the agreement, it will not be able to put back in place a comprehensive sanctions regime. While there was general support among Iranians at large for the nuclear treaty uh, in return for a relative normalization of uh, Iran's relations with the outside world, any unilateral withdrawal will be used by Iran as evidence of U.S. ill will, which would enhance the Iranian regime's domestic and regional clout. Of course, a crisis over the treaty would be a victory only for Benjamin Netanyahu. I don't want to step on the toes of my colleague here who's going to talk about Israel and Palestine. But Netanyahu, in my opinion, is hitting the ground running already uh, since he already has the Republican establishment behind him. Trump has pledged his support for American recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. His presidency is poised to strengthen the Israeli right. Trump is likely to be a bystander, if not a cheerleader, for the expansion of settlements on disputed lands, which will seal the fate of the two-state two solution, if it has not uh, uh, done so already. Now, Turkey has come up a lot in recent days, apropos the ripple effect of the Trump presidency in the region. Trump has cast doubt on U.S. commitment to NATO, of which Turkey is a member. Turkey is on the forefront of the crisis in Syria, the war against ISIS, and the refugee problem, the Syrian refugee problem. So how Turkey perceives the Trump presidency attracts some interest, enough to put Turkish President Erdogan on 60 Minutes uh, last Sunday on the heels of President-elect uh, Trump. President Erdogan seems single-mindedly focused on the vendetta with his one-time ally, Fethullah Gülen, whom he wants extradited from the U.S. because he, is alleged, he has allegedly masterminded the coup d'etat of last summer. There is the suggestion that Michael Flynn's lobbying firm is working on the Turkish government's behalf precisely to secure that. And uh, Flynn... Um, uh, published an op-ed piece on the day of the election making the case for the extradition of Gülen. Um, so um, uh, I think you know, that's, that's, that's sort of going to be the top agenda item before Syria, uh, you know, refugees, uh, etc. As far as Syria is concerned, Bashar al-Assad has already ex expressed his expectation that Trump will, uh, uh, will align U.S. policy with Russia. Um, and Trump has made it clear that his target in the region will be ISIS, uh, suggesting that he will turn a blind eye to Assad's brutalities, which Assad cloaks as punishing the terrorists. ISIS, already in retrenchment, should welcome the Trump regime. Trump's and Team Trump's incendiary remarks about Muslims and Islam plays into the hands of ISIS's uh, project to radicalize Muslims everywhere. If and when ISIS is forced to withdraw from the territories it occupies now, 
it is likely to devote its attention more squarely to international uh, terrorism, uh, for which Islamophobic rhetoric, be it in the United States, France, or elsewhere, prepares a fertile ground. Trump has said that, quote, Islam hates us, unquote. His national security advisor, Michael Flynn, is on record as having stated that, quote, Islam is like a malignant cancer, unquote. It has often appeared in recent months as if the Trump campaign has gotten its cues from the playbook of the kind of authoritarian regimes preponderant in the Middle East and elsewhere. The nationalistic, misogynist, ethnocentric, and xenophobic rhetoric, disdain for civil rights, aspersions on the rule of law, advocacy of cruel punishment, attempts to denigrate, restrict, and squelch the free press, intimidation of political rivals, denigration of democratic institutions, kleptocratic inclinations, thin-skinned knee-jerk reactions to criticism and dissent, have set a bad example and stand to vindicate and embolden leaders everywhere with similar predilections. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.